0: Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in High Fidelity.
1: Good morning. This is attorney Vince Davis, and this show is Get Your Kids Back Now. This show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of the show is to educate parents and relatives or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of the show is to remind the people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box, at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes.
0: Good morning once
1: again. Uh, On today's show, we're going to take a few calls and we're going to talk about a few things. Uh, The first thing I wanted to mention was that uh, that last part about the purpose of the show, about voting. Um, what we're trying to do nationwide is organize at the county and the state level in every state in the union, so that we can uh, become a voting block, so to speak. Um, we're hoping that we can vote in uh, the 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 right legislators who will uh, pass or amend laws so that the uh, juvenile dependency court system, otherwise known as the CPS court system, can become more family friendly, uh, more child sensitive, to the child's needs about wanting to get back with the um, with the family. Also, I wanted to remind everyone, at least in in most cases, states, and it is the case in California, state judges are either appointed by the governor, and then they have to run for reelection every I think it's six years. Also if they're not appointed by the governor, they are. They have to win an election or they have to run and be elected. So let's make sure people that you are, um, you know, those judges that you are complaining about in, in the juvenile court system, um, that you vote them out of office and vote in someone that's more family friendly. Uh, but remember to vote. The next thing I wanted to mention is I've been getting a lot of Calls um, lately about people who want to sue CPS, sue social workers, sue counties and in some areas of of the country um, where the CPS system is state-run they want to sue the state governments. Um, We do do cases, uh, civil cases, civil rights cases against social workers and counties. Uh, primarily here in uh, the state of California Um, I'm a licensed attorney in California I have represented people um, on occasion out of the state of California Um, there is something called pro hoc vice. Uh, I don't know what that means but it means that uh, a court in another jurisdiction can give a licensed attorney from another state the right to practice in this foreign state, even though he or she is not licensed there. Um, and I've consulted on several cases that are out of state, um, regarding um, different types of cases, actually, and and some cases regarding cases uh, against social workers. So, I'm going to talk a little bit about that today, about suing social workers. The main purpose of the show, which really caused me to start the show, was um, a, a huge complaint that I receive several times a week, and it goes something like this. The child is taken away, the child or the children is taken away from the parents. The child is not placed with a relative. Now that could be, there can be many reasons for this happening. I don't think most of those reasons are valid reasons, but it happens. I'll give you an example of a case that just was in my office yesterday. There were two children um, taken away from the parents for various reasons. They were placed with the paternal grandparents. The child, excuse me, the mother, after maybe a year in the system, gives birth to another child just the other day. The social workers find out. They come to the hospital, and without a warrant, uh, the child is removed. Um, I should say that one of the parents did sign. Was convinced to sign a a release of the child to the social worker apparently the social worker convinced the mother and threatened the mother that uh, she should go ahead and sign the, uh, sign a piece of paper allowing the social worker to detain the child fortunately for the family the father refused to sign the, uh, the social worker taking the child uh, after being uh, cajoled and threatened verbally and allegedly threatened aggressively Um, he refused to sign and by the way you don't have to sign but without getting a warrant she took the child out of the hospital and detained the child in a foster home so there's a lot of problems with that scenario in my opinion with respect to violating what is called the United States of America Constitution the US Constitution specifically the Fourth Amendment Uh, The Fourth Amendment says that the government cannot do unreasonable searches and seizures. And that has been applied to juvenile dependency, or what we commonly refer to as CPS or DCFS cases. A social worker cannot take your child away from you unless, number one, she has a warrant or court order. Um, That's not always the case. Number two, they can take the child. If you sign something agreeing they can take the child. And in the conversation between the social worker and the mother, in this case I was mentioning, the conversation went along these lines. Well, if you don't sign this, I'm just going to go get a warrant. And, of course, the mother, not knowing anything about the law, that sounded very threatening. And so she finally agreed to sign to have the child uh, detained without a warrant. So, the social worker needs, number one, a warrant, or court order, number two, the parent's uh, signature in agreement, or number three, they need to see, there needs to be something called an exigent circumstance. Exigent is a fancy word for emergency. It means to be an emergency situation. Um, and what, in my opinion, what the courts have ruled are emergency situations um, I guess there could be many different variations, but it's basically something that the social worker witnesses and sees, and um, you know, determines that this is an emergency situation. In my opinion, those are rare. Um, it's usually limited to the social worker seeing some type of abuse, uh, uh, and um, you know, deciding I don't have time to go get a warrant. Or a court order, because something will happen to the child if I leave. Um, which, you know, generally, um, and I know there are exceptions, but generally, when is that ever the case? You know, let's give you this example. Um, talked to some people this past week. They came out and took the kids because of a argument uh, that include the. Included the father pushing the mother and the mother slapping the father uh, that took place a week before. Um, And in between that incident and the social worker coming to the house, parents, of course, had made up and had gone about their life and and living. But in that particular case, regarding these parents who had this quote unquote domestic violence um, incident, the social worker decided that there was an emergency situation and wanted to detain child so if the social worker doesn't have that warrant or agreement by the parents or the emergency circumstance uh, the social worker is going to be hard-pressed and if she does detain the child she opens herself up and the county or state she works for To uh, a civil lawsuit for violation of the fourth amendment fourth amendment is important the Ninth Circuit and and many circuits have told us that hey you just can't go out on your own as a social worker unless you have some type of life or death emergency and take people's children you got to go to the court and you gotta go and um, ask for a warrant an interesting thing happens and I haven't really done deep research in this, an interesting thing happens in Los Angeles. I have seen cases where the social worker went to the judge and applied for the warrant. And there's, in LA County, there's a lot of judges, and the judge, the first judge who happened to be the presiding judge of the juvenile court denied Mm -hmm. the warrant. He said, you know, I read this application, basically, and he said, denied. He did make some comments about, well, if this, 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 and this happens, um, you know, maybe I'll reconsider it, basically. The social worker waits a couple days, you know, and and the judges, because there's so many judges, they rotate this duty of children issuing warrants almost in the same identical facts, but certainly nothing new. They go to another judge, who, in my opinion, has a tendency to be very conservative and very protective, and he issues the warrant. I don't recall if they even mentioned to this second judge that the first judge denied it. To be fair, I think they may have. I just don't recall. But see, there's, you know, in my mind, there's there's some little bit of game playing that goes on with trying to get these warrants. And uh, there are more judges you know every judge is different and they look at the uh, the uh, the facts of each case uh, differently but getting back I digress getting back to suing social workers so if they don't have those three things they're violating the Fourth Amendment rights there have been several attorneys um, who have brought lawsuits uh, class action lawsuits against um, Uh, states and counties and social workers to try to get them to stop doing this uh, these wholesale violations of the Fourth Amendment surprisingly uh, in the latter years most recently um, I I know of one attorney who has been successful in that um, went to another state and he did not get what they call certified for class uh, <clears throat> for a class lawsuit so in my opinion the law is you know the pendulum of the law switches back and forth and <clears throat> right now they're in at least in the federal court system they're kind of tightening up on when you can have a class action lawsuit class action litigation is very complex very sophisticated uh, both the prosecution and the defense of it so if you ever have an idea of trying to sue someone in a, or some a class action lawsuit um, you you need to talk to a competent class action lawyer social workers are generally sued for three reasons the first one being the violation of the Fourth Amendment the second reason they're usually sued is because the social worker has not been truthful uh, in reporting to the court and most of the reports if not all supposed to be signed under penalty of perjury, which you know is a big deal It means they're swearing to something that's true. And in my 30 years of practicing law and um, in my years of doing these cases, I've seen social workers who have exaggerated or not been truthful in their reports to the court. Now, I'm not saying every social worker is a lying sack of, you know, you know what. It's not true. There are good social workers. There are a lot of bad social workers. So sometimes, you know, you get a report uh, from a social worker, and the client tells me, all of this isn't true. You know, this is false, this is false, this is false. And if or when the social worker gets on the stand and they testify, and they tell things or say things that aren't false, uh, you know, they can be sued. I have a case right now in uh, Orange County where we're suing a social worker in the county of Orange because the social worker committed, basically committed a perjury on the witness stand. And as I look back, I kind of chuckle about this case, but I got really lucky I was cross-examining the social worker, and I just had the feeling, and based upon what my client was telling me, the social worker was not being truthful. Um, but there's not, there was no way I felt at the time in the middle of this trial that I could prove that. Uh, so the trial ends, we do closing argument, and I'm thinking, you know, I, I, I've lost this case. And uh, the judge says, well, I need some time to think about it, and I'll let you know the decision. So I took that to me. Uh, you know the judge doesn't uh, rule against my client with my client in the courtroom so he's going to put it in the mail to us that's what I was thinking about a week later um, I get a call from the judge's uh, secretary and she said the judge wants all the attorneys in his chambers he needs to discuss an issue and I said okay you know he's ordering me to court I got to go to court and talk to him and I'm thinking you know I guess he's trying to break it to me you know uh, easy that we've lost this case and anyway, I show up for the meeting and the county council, of the social worker's attorney is there and the Myers council, is who's also against me, is there in the chambers. And we're sitting there and the judge says, well, I'm going to tell you my tentative decision. Um, I'm going to rule in favor of Mr. Davis. I was shocked. I was stunned. Then he said, that's my tentative decision and let me tell you why. And he goes on to say, that he did not find the social worker credible on a couple of important issues. In other words, in my mind, that meant he thought she was lying. But so did I. And he specifically brought up a series of questions that I asked the social worker. Um, and, I remember those, and I remember those questions. I remember thinking, you know, this lady is lying, but I can't prove it. And the judge says, I don't think she was credible during that line of questioning. And I'm thinking, wow, that's great. We won. Then he says, the judge says this, but I'm going to give the social worker, the county counsel, the opportunity to recall the two witnesses that the social worker named that could verify her story. You see, when I was cross-examining her, um... In the back of my mind, I thought, well, one day we might sue her for telling a lie when we find out that she's lying. So I asked her, Madam Social Worker, you said ABC. Were there any witnesses to that? She says, yes, there were two witnesses that were right there, two other social workers. So the judge in the chambers conference says to the county council, I'm going to let you reopen, Um, and I'm objecting. Like, you know, hey, wait a minute, the case is over, the trial is over, why are you going to bring two other social workers in to verify whether the social worker on the stand was telling the truth or not? Judge says, no, I'm going to let him do it, you know, and uh, of course the two social workers come in, and I'm thinking, uh, you know, they're just going to back up the social worker who was on the stand, um, and then I'm going to lose. So the the first social worker comes into court like about two weeks later. Now they got about two weeks to get their stories together, right? That's what I'm thinking. And the first social worker gets on the stand, and and the judge looks at me. There's three attorneys on this case. He looks at me and he says, Mr. Davis, I think you should ask the questions or begin with asking the questions. And I kind of argue with him. I said, wait a minute, I'm not calling this person. I didn't even want to reopen. It's a county council's client. And... um, you know, he wanted to bring, he, he took you up on your offer to bring in two additional social workers to testify. Judge says, no, you go, you start. I said, okay. So I started asking this social worker questions, and I'm getting to the point where I got to ask her the big question. The big question is, hey, is social worker, so, social worker so-and-so said that you were there when XYZ happened? Is that true? And I spend maybe three or four minutes going round and round with this witness trying to get an answer, yes or no, but she won't answer it. And eventually I turn to the judge and I say, Your Honor, would you instruct the witness to answer the question? And by this time, you know, he has a poker face, but by this time he's kind of upset that the social worker won't answer the question. You know, he's a smart guy. He was an ex, I think, district attorney. So, you know, he knows what's going on. So he says to the social worker, you know, basically, look, lady, answer the question directly, yes or no. He said, Mr. Davis, ask the question again. So I ask the question again, you know, is it true that you were there and witnessed ABC? Social worker says, no, it's not true. I'm stunned. Here's a social worker that's telling, or at least when prepped, is telling the truth. I'm stunned. There's like, I'm and I'm standing there about 30 seconds, I, because I'm, I'm stunned. I don't know what to say. The judge finally says something to me like, you know, you do you have any more questions, Mr. Davis? And it was no, I don't have any more questions. The minor's attorney and the county counsel, as I recall, didn't maybe ask one or two questions, but it was kind of like, okay, the cat's out of the bag. The social worker who was originally on the witness stand is now a liar. So they call, we call the second witness, and she sits down. She's a social worker, and she's sworn in, right? Uh, she takes the oath. And before I could ask any questions, she says something like, I'm not lying for anyone. It's not true. Something like that. And I say, well, hold on. I haven't asked you any questions yet. And I think a judge said something like, yes, you have to wait to be asked questions before you can give us answers. So I say, you know, social worker blah, blah, blah said X, Y, Z, and that you witnessed that. Is it true? She said, no, it's not true. Or something like, no, it's absolutely not true. And I think I may have asked them follow-up questions. Well, why do you think she said that? And all her answer was, "I don't know," but it's not true. The case ends. This, uh, you know, that ends the testimony. So my fears were allayed. There were honest social workers, and uh, the judge wrote an opinion out. And I don't know if he filed it in the file, but he read it into the record. And he basically found that the social workers, the social worker, had perjured herself. That social worker. I believe today is still working. Um, she's continued on the case working, while the case was still open in Orange County. Um, I don't think uh, that any disciplinary action was ever taken, um, and she still works on cases involving families and uh, children and the placement of children. Um, so it's 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 kind of interesting that um, you know. She wasn't immediately fired, but we're now suing her. That's the point of the story. We're now suing her in the county uh, for basically dragging my clients through the mud, making them spend thousands of dollars uh, based upon lies, things that were lies. So that's generally the second way you can sue a social worker. So we got the violation of Fourth Amendment. Or if the social social worker comes into court and lies, either in a report or on the stand. Interestingly enough, there was a there's a very famous case. You can find this on YouTube. um, That came out a year or two ago. Um, I I guess the Ninth Circuit, the U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, um, videotapes all its oral arguments. And in another case, where they had lost a huge amount of money. I think like $9 million or something. Uh, they argued in federal court that um, if a social worker lies, he or she should have immunity. Now, in California, social workers have a lot of immunity. They don't have absolute immunity, but they're given qualified immunity on, on, on several things where you can't sue them. And uh, the County of Orange uh, went to the United States Court of you know, the United States. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals and tried to argue that social workers should be immune when they are when they lie in court. Needless to say the three judges on the us on that panel were outraged that the county would make such an argument and uh, I can't I found it kind of laughable because it just goes to show you what social workers in counties really think they should do or should be able to do in the name of protecting children in the name of protecting children we should be able to come to court get on the stand and lie to you your honor Um, there are I don't know if the criminal case is over but as of um, you know several months ago it was not over there were in Los Angeles Superior Court there are, I think, four social workers from the County of Los Angeles, from the Department of Children and Family Services, who are being pr- criminally prosecuted for, among other things, filing false reports with the court. Um, unfortunately, in that case, it led to the death of a child. Um, but yeah, so uh, they're being criminally prosecuted. And as of several months ago. There was no deals on the table for these people. The district attorney was looking for um, uh, jail time for, for social workers. Um, and the social workers weren't all you know, field-level social workers, from what I understand. There were some supervisory people also uh, being prosecuted. Uh, hopefully that's sending a message to social workers statewide. Unfortunately, I don't think that message is getting through. Um, But I'll tell you one other one one other quick story Um, it seems like a couple years ago um, uh, I'm taking the deposition of a social worker so I'm representing uh, a mother and two children against uh, some social workers in the county of Los Angeles and I'm talking to the main social worker the main defendant in the case and we're videotaping her deposition and um, she finally admits that she has signed things under penalty of perjury knowing when she signed that they weren't true so let me repeat that she admitted on a videotape deposition basically to perjury to knowingly presenting information false information to a United States US district judge um, And she admitted it several times in several ways. Needless to say, uh, they used to laugh at me when I would go to court to try to, you know, work on this case or win this case. Needless to say, that case ended up uh, settling because all of a sudden they wanted to uh, settle the case after this lady admits under oath on videotape yet um, that uh, she was not truthful. So that's basically the second way you can uh, sue social workers. The third way that you generally end up suing social workers is if the child has sustained some type of injury while in uh, the care and custody of foster care or the social worker. And I'll tell you about a case that just came in my office um, this week. Uh, a mother who had gotten, who had, had her children taken away from her now I don't know if it was legitimate that her children were taken away from her or not but two young children are taken away from her and when she returned or excuse me when she goes on visits she notices that her children have a lot of bruises and this is not a one-time occurrence it's happened on many, many occasions uh, when she goes and visits, and they're different bruising, bruises. She finally gets the children back. Now, during this time, she's complaining to the social worker, "Look, look, my kids are being injured." And, and you know, everybody has a smartphone nowadays, so she's making pictures, taking pictures, and videotaping the, you know, these these visits with these injured children. Social worker does nothing, doesn't remove the children from the foster home. The children are eventually returned to the mother. The mother immediately takes the children to the doctor. The social worker is aware of this. The doctor does all kinds of tests and whatever and says and opines, these children are suffering from PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, that it is clear that they have been physically abused. And I believe that the uh, three-year-old or four-year-old female child has been sexually abused and sexually penetrated. I asked the woman, I said, well, um, you know, is your juvenile case still open? No. She said, no, they, when all of this happened, right after all of this happened, the social workers wanted to close the case. I said, oh, okay. And she said, I said, well, was this ever reported to the judge? She said, no. The social worker never reported it to the judge. You won't find it in any of the social workers' reports. I said, well, you know, your children had a minor's attorney. I said, well, did the minors' attorney never know about it?" She said, no, uh, I don't think so. And I, I went, when I was at court on the last one or two hearings, I wanted to talk to the uh, minors' attorney, but she couldn't or wouldn't talk to me. Uh, you know, she was very busy. And On one occasion, she said, you know, I can't talk to you because you're represented by an attorney, which technically is true. I mean, um, the minor's attorney can't just talk to the mother because the mother wants to. Uh, The minor's attorney would have had to get the permission of the mother's attorney to talk to the mother. But apparently nobody at court knew about the abuse these children were suffering in foster care. So that's the third way that you can uh, sue a social worker, and and the foster parent, by the way, of of child abuse. you know, violation of your rights in that particular case I just told you I mean it's a new case to our office and uh, and uh, I asked the mother I said hey you know was this ever reported to the police she said yes it was reported to the sheriff's department they did a report she believes that substantiated the the abuse the child abuse she was never given a copy of the report the report was forwarded to the social worker, and that's where it ended. That report, that sheriff's report, never made it to the um, to the juvenile court or to the juvenile judge, uh, and at least that's what she believes. And she said that um, today she has her children back, but the, that family that had the children uh, still have other foster... Excuse me, yeah, still have other... Foster children in their um, custody so those are the three primary ways that you can sue a social worker Um, a lot of people don't sue social workers um, because it's not that they don't have a case it's because they don't want to pursue it and I respect that I had a a couple weeks ago I had an 18 year old who spent the last five years of his life in uh, foster care Um, last five years yeah his wife in foster care and um, he was out of the system is interesting thing he was out of the system they would never place him with relatives um, although he allegedly kept asking people in the system to place him with relatives and now uh, they terminated this case closed his case and uh, he is homeless on the street uh, you know sleeping from his couch surfing friends relatives that he can um, you know sleep with but here's here's his story this is an interesting story that I hear uh, quite a bit unfortunately while he was in the foster home one of the other foster children uh, abused him physically and sexually as he did and did the same thing to his younger sister That's kind of a horrific story um, so I've talked to him The younger sister is still in uh, foster care, not in that foster home. The social worker or social workers did move her uh, from that home, but she is currently in uh, another foster home, and he doesn't know whether she's told anybody what happened in the old foster home. Interesting thing or sad thing, that foster home is still operating allegedly and still has foster children in Mm -hmm. that home. So I think I've done enough talking today. I'm going to take the first call. It's area code five six two, ending in one seven.
0: Good morning. Good morning. Uh, with the the,
1: David.
0: Yeah. Hi. Good
1: morning. Um, I want to wanted, or a question to ask.
0: A little of both. Um, what I'd like to share is a um, we've been in um, this um, nightmare for almost three years now. And we've gotten two of our three children back. And um, what's been happening is that um, uh, uh, about three years ago, um, uh, because of what the actions had taken place, I had a restraining order and it was already in place. And so uh, a social worker decided to add a second restraining order. And what the nightmare is about the social worker that she's been on a a vendetta, and I'm not trying to say that all people are bad, but this particular one has been. And what happened was is that um, she makes it allege, but in the way her rationale, she makes it guilty without even having a chance to have it tried in court. And so she's imposed for the past year all these extra activities and extra things which are uncalled for. What I mean by that is that... um, um uh, just even recently because she's now been replaced uh, she has a new social worker uh that has taken over and all the new social worker's doing is following the case plan which has been signed by me has been signed by my wife um and uh, but this new case plan is dragging this thing out uh, we have a precocious child who was 9 at the time that he was uh, taken away and he's 12 now and it was um it's really been hard because they're forcing things to reopen up wounds and make it worse. It's that my wife's gone through so much therapy repetitiously and unnecessary and jumping through hoops and trying to, they are still trying to get into the evilness of the system. And what I mean by that is that uh, this restraining order, even though uh, the child now has been. Uh, Put back, and the father and the mother can see the child at any time, and except he can't go around the mother's home. Um, what what I did is that I maintained two homes. I had to do this because I wanted to have the children return home, and I wanted to show home without the dad there. And um, I had to get a place for myself, too, because it's not fun living in a car. And so um, I, uh, uh, you know, had been enjoying my. Son and the visitation stuff, but it's, it's it is is uh, becoming more of a more of a nightmare, and I don't know how they get these restraining orders dropped because my older son, who's 18, and he got out of the system by saying, "Hey, look, I'm 18, and social services, you all full of lies. You've done nothing but destroy our family." And so he's back home, and uh, he sees me. In fact, he had a beautiful performance in a musical last night and stuff. So he's doing good, but the kind of question I have is that in December, uh, the, the son was returned. And, uh, then in January, we had the visit again where it said that the son can see the father without any kind of monitoring, anything like that. But the problem being is that there's two restraining orders and one of them is in criminal court, one's in dependency court. And the way they read there, they, if you look at them, they're just, they're still bizarre. And, uh, um, it's now. It's like Rush Roulette. Every time I take my son, I'm worried to death that if I get stopped, they're going to pull up the report. Oh, there's a restraining order. Yep, says you're not supposed to be there. Then they're going to handcuff me and put me into uh, into jail. And this is the most scary thing to have. You know, month after month, it's taken forever to get these restraining orders addressed to. Plus, this uh, uh, social worker set it up so bad in the case plan that the new social worker doesn't recognize what is going on. And so this thing is going to continue on into September of 2018 where my uh, wife repeatedly has to go every week. She has to go to therapy. This is like her fifth therapist. This is repetitious up, up, up the ladder. And then on top of that, she's got wraparound and they want to individually meet with my son. My son got so angry at the last social worker. She said, I want you out of here. I don't want anything to do with you. And this is a 12-year-old toner that, you know, I don't want to. And so uh, they are just doing this uh, needlessly and just ruin it. Because I thought when the son came back um, and that you now he's can be with his mom, be with his dad, and kids like that, we thought everything would be cleared up and then we can move on with our lives. But instead, the uh, social service system wants to keep us constantly – uh, on the ropes constantly. Our our marriage has been so troubled by this for three years. You know, we had a, a loving mother, loving father, loving children. And because of economics, because of economics, we didn't have the money to put a lot of things in storage. And so we um, uh, uh, were at the hands of mercy of the social service. And we believed at the beginning that they were there to be fair, to be there, to help us and we thought they would be helping us uh, to get us back on our feet. And instead, it's just been a nightmare, and it continues to do so. And we don't know how to deal with these restraining orders because they keep hanging on our head, you know, and uh, if they don't get taken care of, um, it's it's like I'm playing Rush Roulette. I have a bullet in the chamber, and it's going to take one time to get stopped when I'm with my son. Like, we had a complete family outing last night, and it always backs my mind if I get stopped, for a minor violation or something happens, the police looks at the report, they're gonna see the restraining orders. And they're gonna say, Well, why is the son in your presence? Um, you know, uh, why are both your sons, you know the other son's eighteen and stuff? And uh I just can't seem to get these restraining orders uh, addressed or looked at or anything. It just keeps hanging on and month after month after month and it's getting it's getting hard. I don't know what I can do.
1: Do you have copies of the restraining orders?
0: Yes, I have copies, and I've sent them. I can send them again. I just—they um, just—it's uh, the same ones that have you know been in been in existence. You know, one's two years old, the other one is is a year old.
1: So let me let me get this straight. You have two of your three children back in your in your custody.
0: Correct, correct, but still, social service wants to drag this out. They they did not address the father at all. The social services have completely ignored the father. And uh, I haven't seen any copies. The last court appearance, um, I couldn't get copies of the paperwork I needed. And uh, so I don't even really know what the case plan is. I've seen bits and pieces of it. Um, but, you know, my wife and I are just beside ourselves. i mean, We just feel like we're just in liberal land now for the next six months.
1: Okay. What I want you to do is, do you have a pen and a piece of paper? Yes, sir. Yeah, I want you to write this telephone number down.
0: Okay. Go ahead.
1: Uh, 888. Okay. 888 888
0: 888 Two. That's a lot of eights. It's eight eight eight, and then eight eight eight, and then six five eight two. Yes, I want you to
1: call me today at that that number,
0: and we'll
1: talk more about your specific situation. Okay. I want you to call at two thirty.
0: Yeah. I'll be in. Okay. The main thing. The main thing is it's just got to the point now where it's just. I just. I understand why the social service is can be so corrupt and violating all your, and you just have to sit here and wait, month after month after month, and you know, I've spent over so much money, I mean, it's just, all the money's is just gone. And it's just, it's just, I know we have a good case, we will do it. So, all right, thank you, sir.
1: Thank you for, thank you for your call. Okay, what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to take another call. Um, this will be from area code 760, ending in 00. Good morning. This is attorney Vince Davis. Do you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Okay, we had some technical difficulties there we'll go with a uh, this must be a blocked number so see if we can take this call hello this is attorney Vince Davis did you have a story uh, question to ask or a story to tell hello hello that person must just want to listen as well. We'll go to area code 626, ending at 8-7. Hello, this is attorney Vince Davis. Do you have a story to tell or a question to ask?
2: Oh, hey, Vince. Uh, yeah, I'm a client.
1: Okay. Did you want to tell a story or ask a question?
2: Um, sure. Yeah, I'll I'll let uh, everybody know what you did for me. Um, I highly appreciate it. So I wanted to call in to uh, thank you very much for all the help. Um, We had a a situation where uh, my wife and I were contacted over um, alleged drug use. And it was kind of at the same time that my wife and I were my ex wife were going through a divorce. So in, in the midst of dealing with, uh, CPS, I was also dealing with an ex-wife that was using, using CPS as a catalyst for her divorce at the same time. So she kind of instigated the whole thing, um, further than it could have, could have gone. So I was put in a position where I was the bad guy because, um, I did everything they asked for and, um, the ex-wife just kept creating more, more problems, more lies, more, you know, anything that she could. And we are at a position where the social worker was actually lying on, on her behalf. And, and I've actually caught that in court transcripts. And um, just it's an eye opener to how corrupt these people really are. It's horrible. Uh,
1: can you be a little bit more specific without naming names?
2: Of course. Give an example, um, they would They a big one was they took terminology out of another another case and put words into a judge's mouth. Um, That did not happen. And so I had to literally get the transcript from that other court um, to show her boss that what she had said in the report that went to the judge was. Um, was a lie I mean a a bold-faced lie to try to um, extend you know basically they were facilitating having my wife have custody of the kids and they were they were not um, they were not unbiased they were very very biased and and I I, from what I hear it's typical um, for, for a lot of men in the California system but Uh, And I'm sure every case is, (laughs) is the hardest to themselves. But my case I felt was just overly, um, biased, just predominantly the lies. They actually lied. What my daughter said to them. Um, my daughter was telling me one thing in therapy and telling me that the lady was lying. And then I would go straight back to the social worker and the social worker would tell me that, Oh no, your daughter's lying. And, um, and it was just hard because um, it, it, all this was at the um, the help of my ex-wife now going into, a you know, the divorce um, proceedings. And she's using everything that happened with CPS as um, leverage for her to position herself well in a divorce case.
1: How did things turn out in the divorce case for you?
2: I'm still working on it. Um, that's where... Where I'm at right now, but um, essentially, what? Let me get back to the initial story. How you helped. Uh, um, so we were going nowhere with with um, the CPS case. They wanted to basically close the case out with me on monitored, which I had been on monitored for over a year. And we have a good family, and it was, you know, I mean, we should have just divorced and been on our way. But they, to get CPS involved was a nightmare beyond a nightmare, and they just wanted to close it out on, on monitored and they would have put me in a bad position going into the divorce case. And when Vince came in and, and helped, um, I actually watched them in court. It was awesome and turned something that I didn't think was going to happen at all. I don't even think there were prepared directions, um, for the, um, um for my daughters to see me without uh, monitors. Um, Because they just had everybody had it in their head that's how they were going to close the case out. So we actually uh, contested it, uh, I believe, two times, and then finally got the result when um, when he came into court. So definitely thankful for all that.
1: Well, thank you very much, and thank you for calling and sharing with us.
2: Absolutely. Um, If there's anything else I could ever do, let me know.
1: I will. Thank you.
2: Thanks. Have a
1: Okay, I'm going to try one more call. Um, It's also a block number, but let's see if we can get through. Hello, this is Attorney Vincent Davis. Hello. Hello, did you have a a story to tell or a question to ask? Okay, maybe maybe they're just uh, listening on the uh, telephone. I don't know if you, the listening audience, I just want to let you know. You can listen to this show live or recorded at um, talkradioexperts.com, and you can listen on any device. Uh, if you want to call in and uh, share your story or ask a question, you can call in at 646 uh, 668 eight seven nine one Um, we have a few more minutes left in the uh, in the show today and and I'd like to talk about um, something that's uh, near and dear to my heart and that's uh, something uh, that's referred to in the juvenile dependency system as relative placement one of the things in my opinion that makes the entire juvenile dependency process constitutional is The fact that when the social worker detains your children or takes your children away from you, that they are supposed to be immediately placed with relatives by marriage or blood, or or with close family friends. Yes, the children can be placed with close family friends, and uh, those people in the law and juvenile courts they're known as nephrons. I forget exactly what that uh, that acronym stands for, but Close family friends. Now, there are certain relatives that have priority in the placement. For example, grandparents have priority over the second or third cousin, um, and sometimes uh, social workers forget that, and sometimes I get the feeling that minor's attorneys forget that, and sometimes I get the feeling that uh, the judge may forget that. So Always keep in mind that um, you know certain relatives. I think it's grandparents, aunts, uncles, adult siblings. Um, and there may be one or two other classes have priority for placement with the child over other relatives. I'm in a I'm in a case right now in Los Angeles. It's a very odd case uh, from my client's perspective. He's the dad. The children are placed with someone that used to be married to a blood relative let me repeat that the woman is was the um, wife of a blood relative that blood relative passed away and the woman remarried and when they took the children away from the parents They didn't check out any grandparents, aunts, uncles. Uh, There were no adult siblings, uh, no uh, first cousins, no second cousins. They went straight for the family friend. Uh, Well, I I can't say they're a family friend. They went straight to this former uh, person related by marriage. The reason why I think um, relative placement is so important because in my mind it's akin to you being arrested and then bailed out of jail to help your lawyer fight the case, or you not being bailed out of jail and you are in jail trying to help your lawyer fight the case. You know, like, which one is better? So when you have a child that is uh, detained in a strange foster home, you are probably having a lot of angst, as you should have, because a lot of crazy stuff happens in foster homes. Now, I'm not saying that every foster home is bad. Uh, There are many, many, many good foster homes. But in my mind, children should be placed with the family because the Supreme Court of the United States has said that the family is the fabric of our society. The family is the fabric of our society so why are we placing and doing everything that we can to place children with relatives Um, there are a lot of conspiracy theories about the reason why some I believe are true some I hope aren't true Um, I heard a rumor uh, a few weeks ago about um, there being a federal investigation about Basically, what can best be described as baby selling. Social workers selling babies to foster parents who can't have children. Uh, I have I know of no evidence of that ever happening, um, so I'm not saying that it happens. But it is kind of a wild, uh, speculative thing. And you know, how long have men been? How long have men being traded? being in the business of trading other men. Slavery. I mean, it goes back probably to the beginning of our human existence. And apparently, still going on today in some countries. So, my passion, since I was raised by my grandmother, is to have children placed with relatives. And that can happen. Um, that can happen if you and your attorney um, try to enforce what's called welfare and institutions code section 309 just google it in california it's called google wic 309 read it study it discuss it with your attorney discuss it with your private attorney your court appointed attorney and get your children placed or make sure that they're placed with friendly relatives A lot of relatives call me and they tell me they have many, many problems with um, relative placement. So here's a quick strategy. I'm going to give you a trade secret that I do. Every parent that I represent, I get 25 names from them, people who could, not would, people who could take care of the child. I present those names, addresses, and telephone numbers and emails where they have them to the social worker's attorney and ask for the children to be placed in one of these homes. Now, I want to tell you something right now. These people, relatives or family members, can can live anywhere in the world. So if you have a case in L.A., they don't have to live in L.A. County. They can live in Riverside County. They can live in Sacramento. They can live in New York. They can live in Miami. They can live in Omaha, Nebraska. They can live in Toronto. They can live in Mexico. They can live in Europe, Asia, anywhere in the world. And it's my opinion that um, when you present this type of list, you'll get placement with a relative fairly quickly in, um, you know, locally with a relative or family friend. And here's the reason why. First of all, no social worker is going to investigate 25 names. All right, it's it's a lot of work. I average, I mean, I guess, guesstimate that it's 90 minutes to 120 minutes to investigate a relative or a family friend for placement. It's a lot of work. And if you give them 25 names, oh, my God, that's more than a week's work. And by the way, these investigations, according to code, have to be done within so many days. Sometimes, you know, if I represent the mother, the father hears about it. He makes his own list and gives it to his attorney to be also turned around. Then you got 50 names. And then, you know, um, the grandmother hears about it, and she makes her own list of other relatives. So that's, in my mind, a way to force the social worker to place the child with a friendly relative here in the area uh, where you live so you can visit uh, frequently and uh, visit often. Uh, we're running out of time. Uh, you know, elections are coming up. Please do not forget to vote. Please do not forget to educate yourself on the judicial candidates. Uh, s- some of them are running for re-election. There are new judicial candidates who are running for office. You know, contact them. Contact their uh, uh, their office and find about CPS or DCFS and, and then you know vote uh, what is your conscience, or vote the way you want I hear so many people complaining about judges and I ask them hey you know in the conversation do you vote did you vote for judge so-and-so did you vote you know against judge so-and-so and generally the answer is no so please exercise your right to vote I want to thank everyone to listen for listening this week and we'll see you next weekend on the radio.